Hi, I'm Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phelan McAleer. And welcome to the Anne and Phelan Scoop Daily Virus Special. It's Tuesday, April the 7th. We're in week four of our lockdown here in California. We have not killed ourselves yet. Just about not killed each other yet. 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 But these daily podcasts are great, aren't they? They're not stressful at all. Isn't no, that no, no, no. And one of the things I think that's really interesting about being locked down with your spouse is learning new things about them that you didn't even know about them. Um, very interesting. We'll talk about that another day. All the good things, of course. All the good things. Yes, indeed. So moving swiftly along to let you know what's in today's show. Um, uh, some good news. We're going to be starting with some good news about New York and some good news about the UK. And then we're going to uh, we're going to look at how a week is a long time in politics, especially for a trade secretary who a week ago was an idiot and now he's a genius as long as it fits the agenda that the media want to spin. So let's hear, we'll learn more about that. And of course, no virus will be complete without AOC's uh, comments on it. So we can look forward to that as well. So starting off, um, New York City, well, first, Boris Johnson, my old boss, as I like to say, you know, as, or as I like to lie, I suppose. I did write two articles for him back when he was the editor of Spectator. Uh, he is in intensive care, as you know. Uh, the British Prime Minister, uh, he, according to Downing Street, and it looks like Downing Street have changed their mind. One of the big problems with the Boris Johnson story was that Downing Street were, were telling half-truths and not telling the truth. Crazy thing to do. And absolutely, you know, they think they're in the 1950s Britain when Churchill had a stroke and you could cover it up. If ever there's a time for transparency, it was this and Downing Street failed. You know, uh, and... They, 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 no, no. I mean, there was rumors. Apparently, there was rumors floating around on the last Thursday that he was going to be in, in put intensive care. Sources were confirming it, and Downing Street were denying it. And then a few hours later, he was in intensive care. This is look. This is crazy, especially if you're denying something that's going to happen. You, you look like a liar, and then no one can trust you. And if ever there was a time where people have to trust officials. It's now, so you have to earn that trust. So stop the half-truth, stop the lying, tell the truth about Boris's condition. It looks like they give a very detailed statement today. He's on oxygen. He's not on a ventilator. He hasn't got pneumonia. Things are looking good. He needs to rest, though. He, you know, This thing of working through his illness, very British, but not, not, not very medically sound. Other good news of sorts. Now, New York had a terrible night uh, with deaths. Uh, I think 720, 731 deaths, an awful slaughter, an awful loss of life. But those are probably cases from a week ago. The The good news is that that uh, that the, the number of hospital admissions has dropped and the number of critically ill people has dropped. Uh, and they think that these this, this spike in death is a lagging indicator of, of how it was a week ago. There's a slight hope, and the same with UK. There's a slight hope that we that we are leveling off here. So we'll be keeping you up to date on that. And uh, everyone woke up this morning to the headline uh, that Peter Navarro, the trade advisor um, in the White House to the administration, had warned had warned in January of the risks of a pandemic. And I think uh, for for Peter Navarro, who probably you know is new to politics, maybe new to this media cycle that that we're that we're that we're witnessing. God, is he learning how a few days, how your fortunes can change in a few days? Because today, today, April the 7th, Peter Navarro is a genius. He is this guy who, you know, who warned the president in January of this uh, potential 
drastic, dramatic, disastrous pandemic. Um, and and who, who's and saying it's the genius? Who's saying the, the New York Times, oh, right. New York Times, and CNN, and all these people. But here's the weird well, thing. But but uh, and they're reliable, and they're the media. So exactly. But 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 is this by any chance, Phelan, anyway. the same Peter Navarro, Trade Secretary at the administration at the White House? who a few days ago was described by the CNN as a well-credentialed huckster who asserts expertise out of their fields. Is this the same Peter Navarro who, according to CNN, represents exactly the sort of expert Trump with his disdain for genuine expertise admires, well-credentialed at something, even if it's not the field in question, television-ready and willing to, willing to jettison any knowledge that conflicts with the president's aims. What's the background? What's the background to the to the uh, his previous uh, the assault on him previously? So apparently he you know got into a fight with um, with Fauci um, about the about the efficacy of the hydrochloroquine uh, drug and they had a ma- apparently had a massive fight about this and the media's take on that so they had this closed door argument about the efficacy of hydrochloroquine Peter Navarro and Fauci and of course as you can almost you know predict that the the media um, of course fell on the side of Fauci and and, and through and this guy was a complete idiot but until but today they've discovered CNN New York Times everyone that actually Peter Navarro is a genius. He is this brilliant a visionary. He's a seer. He's like a prophet. He's like he's like a prophet who doesn't make a prophet. But you know, let's go on to that one. But but I just think it's really important here, and this is something that we are going to continuously remind people of, along with reminding people of of the of the of the guilt of the Chinese Communist Party and all of this, and their um, and the fact that you know, if you want to talk about blood on people's hands, you need to look no further than them. But I think it's really important when we're looking at Peter Navarro. Secretary, genius, prophet, prophet of doom in January. It's important to remember uh, who else was talking at the same time. And let's try and imagine if the New York Times at the time had been asked, who would they who would they quote more? Would they quote maybe the WHO or the World CDC? Would they would they quote the World Organiza- Health Organization and the CDC? So here's what the World the World Health Organization was saying in January, and we're going to keep on with these. We're going to keep reminding you of these quotes all the time. World Health Organization, January fourteenth. Preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus. Also, same same darlings, um, a few days later, the World Health Organization says in a tweet, there is no reason for measures that unnecessarily interfere with international travel and trade. We call on all countries to implement decisions that are evidence-based and consistent. WHO stands ready to provide advice to any country that is considering what measures to take. So that's, a, that's an attack. That was an attack on President Trump's travel ban. Correct. And then, and then, just mark you. So let's not even bother with the United Nations branch at the WHO. Let's go to the CDC. That says the Americans' own infectious diseases specialists. These are the guys that you would listen to. So as late as February the 18th, February the 18th, middle of February, they were saying the risks to Americans from coronavirus is very low. Is low. No, it's, low. Oh, sorry, is low. 
I'm sorry, is low. And by the way, before that, on February the 5th, they were saying we continue to believe the immediate risk of coronavirus to the general public is low. CDC is undertaking measures to help keep that risk low. So it's, it's anyway, it's very, it's, I just love this, you know. So Navarro, one day, that's the, that's the fortunes of anyone, by the way, who is in the White House, in this White House, in this administration. Um, anyone who throws the administration under the bus is good guy really good guy but if tomorrow they um they check they take a different um tack you know they could become overnight overnight heroes so peter navarro has had um i mean almost whiplash actually from people like the C- of cnn and new york times um in their in their praise of him but there's another little story about hydrochloroquine film what is hydrochloroquine is big in the news now the argument with 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 um with president trump was over hydro Hydroxy chloroquine, the anti-malarial drug that seems to be, and you know, anecdotally and partially scientifically, seems to be an effective treatment, could be an effective treatment against the disease. And uh, you know, so what did the New York Times decide uh, was President Trump's motivation for pushing? the idea that this might be a, a solution. Well, according to um, the New York Times, the President of the United States is endangering the lives of millions uh, by pushing this false cure just to make money. Uh, if InfoWars suggested this, I mean, if InfoWars suggested this, they would, they, they would be laughed out of the briefing room. But the, here's the New York Times, and here's what they say. Some associates of Mr. Trump have financial interests in the issue. Sanofi, largest shareholders include Fisher Asset Management, the mutual fund company run by Ken Fisher, a major donor to Republicans, including Mr. Trump. A spokesman for Mr. Fisher declined to comment. Another be- investor in both Sanofi and Milan, another far- pharmaceutical firm, is Invesco, the fund previously run by Wilbur Ross, the Commerce, Commerce Secretary. Mr. Ross said in a statement Monday he was not aware that Invesco has any investments in companies producing the drug, nor do I have any involvement in the decision to explore this as a treatment. As of last year, Mr. Trump reported that three of his family trusts each had investment in a Dodge and Cox mutual fund whose largest holding was in Sanofi. Several generic drug makers are also gearing up to produce hydroxychloroquine pills, including Amnil Pharmaceuticals, whose Co-founder Shirag Patel is a member of the Trump National Golf Course, Bedminster, and New Jersey, and has golfed with Mr. Trump at least twice no since he became. Yes, no I, I, way. I at least this. since he became president, according to a person who saw them. <laughs> Actually, that last paragraph. I mean, there are that last paragraph. Tell, you know, says a lot. Several generic drug makers. Did you notice that? And I, I bow to none other than George Conway. Oh, my God. Kelly Conway's go, go uh, husband, who is the most never-Trumper of all the never-Trumpers. As he points out, uh, this is a, he says, this is a stupid he- theory. The, it's out of patent. The drug is out of patent. So Sanofi... There's no advantage to Sanofi, you know, pushing it uh, because all these generic drug makers it can be made in India. You know, there's no point. The companies cannot, they will not profit enormously from this. Um, and so s- several generic drug makers are gearing up to produce the pills, but they have no evidence. They don't say how they know this, including 
Amniel Pharmaceuticals. They have no quote to say we're gearing up. His co-founder, so he's a co-founder, has golfed with Mr. Trump at least twice since he became president, according to a person. So, by the way, so we have, apparently we have some investments that are doing really badly at the moment, Dan. Uh, thank you, Wells Fargo. And, uh, and, and the world. It's quite possible that somewhere in our investments are Sanofi. We don't know because... We, Why Sanofi? By now. <laughs> who knows uh, if, if uh, the person who is managing our meagre investments is, has bought Sanofi. I don't know. But we have met President Trump twice now. I met him once in a rope line and we met him once in the Oval Office. And we've been to the White House a few times. So... Are does, we, that mean, does that mean that we're profiteering from talking about this now? That That is the kind of level of conspiracy theory they're at, that someone has met him twice, including played golf with him. I mean, how many people haven't played golf with yeah. President Trump? <laughs> people have made whole careers out of talking about Trump on the golf course. Yeah. You know, he cheats or he doesn't cheat or whatever. So, but then you get down to it and, and go to Mike Chernovich's Twitter account. He has really demolished this. And there is a debate going on uh, actually, Chernovich is debating with himself whether uh, Donald Trump owns, uh, his family trusts own $3,100 in Sanofi stocks, or he, another way of reading it, it could be $435 in Sanofi stocks. So that is... So they're very exposed then to what might happen to the hydro Listen, hydroxychloroquine. They, they can just retire. Imagine, imagine the riches that uh, that that wait awaits them by pushing but this hydroxychloroquine. Is, but this, is worth, this is a massive. This is a massive. So this is a massive story today, you know. And this is this is how much how much stock they probably have. It might be as much as four thousand dollars. Is that right? Three thousand. Oh, it um, might be as much as less than four thousand dollars, or it could be as little as three hundred dollars. Four four hundred and thirty-five dollars. To be technical about it, but this is what goes for news nowadays. Yes. Um, this is this is this is what will exercise everyone in the New York Times. You go with that story to the editor of the New York Times. He run it front page. Yes. Whereas these same channels that are running this are refusing to cover the presidential briefings. I mean, yeah. we couldn't believe it yesterday when we were watching really the presidential briefings. CBS covered it. I think ABC covered it, but NBC, where we were on Ellen or whatever, we were on some other show. <laughs> M MSNBC no, uh, CNN no. I mean, look, this is this is real information, real time information happening from presidents. And as we switched over to CNN, they were talking about they it. were talking about how the president has to restore trust, has to lead, he has to accept by example. Well, he's on the TV at the moment. Why don't you go over and and actually go live and then analyze whether he's doing that? Brooke Baldwin and 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 and, and other person uh, oh, on CNN. Um, so. But, and, uh, oh, and other news, Joe Biden has released his second podcast. Shocker. Uh, so here we are, Joe Biden has really now released his second podcast. He's t it was a 20-minute interview with Gretchen Wilder. Actually, and it, it wasn't even a 20-minute, it was a 10-minute interview with her, a couple of softball questions, and then three questions from members of the public uh, that were pre-recorded, and Joe answered them, obviously scripted, and... This, first of all, this is not a podcast. This is a scripted, uh, badly scripted, uh, uh, mechanical. mechanical, just awful. Um, it took them, they, they recorded it on the 3rd and they released it on the 6th. So they are now down to a three-day 
three to four day edit as opposed to a six to seven day edit for the last ones, or at least they're making progress in that. But honestly, it's this is not good. I don't know whether he's been badly produced. I suspect that the cognitive function is not there long enough to be chatty. That you can, and he's certainly not being well advised. I mean, Joe Biden has a problem, always had a problem with off-the-cuff remarks. He's a gaffe machine, and I suppose they don't want him in a podcast setting doing that. But don't do this, guys. This this looks really bad. It so just looks awful. Up. We're wrapping up. So we're wrapping up right now, but we can't, we can't leave it without talking about AOC, who, of course, has something incredibly important to say about all of this. And what she is reminding us all is that she's, you know, of what really, really is important here is that uh, the coronavirus is racist. Um, I don't know if a lot of you knew that, but it's good that we could report that to you. So um, just to let you know that the novel coronavirus is actually racist and, and, and in fact, and, and, and in fact, and it actually means that we need reparations for slavery. Yeah, or something, something, something like that. So I'll give you the tweet that she had, and this is how we're going to finish today. COVID deaths are disproportionately spiking in black and brown communities. Why? This is a question she asks herself. This is a rhetorical one. Because the chronic toll of redlining environmental racism, environmental racism, I'm, that was me repeating, by the way, wealth gap, etc., are underlying health conditions. So environmental racism is an underlying health condition, just so you know. Inequality is a comorbidity. She concluded, doctor. That's, doctor. Uh, by the way, doctor, that's, this, is, this is Dr. AOC. COVID relief should be drafted with a lens of reparations, which is just the sort of thing that will really bring the country together. So I think it's very important that I, it was, I, I didn't, you know, and I'm kind of feeling, sometimes I fool myself that I'm kind of informed about things, but I was really glad to get that, to read that and realize that actually, yes, this is the thing everyone's missing, that COVID is actually racist. So... Redlining. Redlining is, is apparently the uh, practice of not giving loans to black people in the 60s uh, to stop them moving out of their areas, to keep white places white. Don't know if it ever happened. I suspect like a lot of these inequality myths, it, it didn't happen, but I'd be open to argument. However, I wonder, is there a solution to redlining? I know. I know. What if you, if you had all these white people moving into minority areas? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that stop the redlining? Wouldn't it, uh, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it mean that there's no segregation, that people, whoever you are, you can get loans? You could even come up for a name with that, with a no. name for that. Like not gentrification. Gen, would that be gentrification? Oh yeah, you could have. call it gentrification, and you, you, that, that isn't that a good thing? Oh no, it's not actually, because according to uh, AOC and all the other Bernie. left, and Bernie. Bernie, gentrification is a bad thing, unless of course it's liberals who are doing the gentrifying. So when liberals move into your area, they're respecting, they're 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 adopting, they're being part of the community. When others do it, when others, just when others, you know, do it, it's called gentrification. It's a bad thing. So actually, anti-gentrification, that's just the new red lining. It's just a way of keeping people segregated. So thanks, AOC. Um, I'll note uh, your cry for reparations and file it appropriately. So I think we're finished now. I think we're definitely finished now. So thank you so much for tuning in again. This is April the 7th. Uh, we're in the fourth week of the lockdown here in Los Angeles, and I hope you're safe, and I hope you're happy where you are. And, you know, no matter what, um, I think we should be grateful for so much. We have shelter, we have food, um, and we're going to get through this. Thank you. Uh, I agree. And stay safe. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Um, God bless and stay safe. Bye. Thank you. Bye.